evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's staying healthy. Today's guest is pretty special to me. It's a band that I've seen several times over the past half dozen years or so. They always rock out every time I see them. I would like to welcome Eddie Spaghetti, bass player and singer from the band Super Suckers. What's going on, Eddie? How are you, brother? Good to talk to you. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I've been a big fan here for a while. I was introduced to you guys about, like I said, six, seven years ago, and been a fan ever since. I've seen you guys play here up around Chicago, like at Reggie's or the Brower House. Fantastic shows. Always a good time. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. You must be a person of impeccable taste. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the program, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, an album, or a song that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Uh, For me, it was, uh, this will date me quite a bit, but I think I was about, I don't know, uh, 12 years old, 11 years old, and... uh, was uh, My Sharona by The Knack. The fucking greatest song of all time. <laughs> I still a... love that song. I'm still trying to write my version of My Sharona. It's a great song. Pretty popular back in the early 80s. Oh, my God, yeah. It was, you could not get away from them. They were, the Knack was everywhere. And, uh, you know, it was a great time for music in general. I still listen to a lot of music from the late 70s, early 80s, I feel like, you know, it was kind of a golden age to grow up in that time. And the way you used to have to get music, you know, I used to have to, I used to have a paper route. I used to have to save up my money and ride my bike over to Walgreens and buy a record and hope the record made it home and, you know, sit there on my bed and stare at the album cover while I play the record. You know, it was a, it was a whole experience, which, you know, you don't have anymore. Yeah, I guess it's a shame, but, you know, there is some sort of, uh, there's something to be said for having instant access to every song in the world on your phone, you know, so, you know, it's just, it's a whole different kind of experience. Yeah, I've talked about that a lot on this podcast, about how the lack of physical connection with music has really hurt rock and roll, probably more so than any other genre, because rock music relied so much on that physical experience. You know, I just said on one of the last programs I just did, no one ever talks about a great Madonna album cover or a Michael Jackson album cover. But, you know, you talk about Iron Maiden or Motorhead or Pink Floyd or Zeppelin or wherever. I mean, those album covers you got lost in. And, you know, you it was part of the experience of reading the liner notes. Plus, you know, when you bought a record, you bought one album and that was that was good for you for like six, eight weeks, sometimes, you know, a few months because you just absorb it over time and then you go buy another one. I had a paper route too where I'd save my money. But yeah, it's completely different. Now it's click, download, listen, click, download, listen. And you could spend a hundred bucks on songs that maybe you'll skip over halfway through, but it's a completely different vibe right now. Right. Or you don't have to spend a dime and hear anything you want. You know, I mean, music has become something that people almost expect to get for free. And I know it's, uh, it's been very detrimental to my band because it's not like we ever sold a lot of records to begin with. And now we don't sell any, you know, so that's, you know, it makes music basically, it's a loss leader 
the live show, which is, you know, now currently non-existent as well. So, you know, I don't know what we're supposed to do. <laughs> it's a whole different world right now. Yes, it is. And we'll certainly get into that and how it's affecting Super Suckers. But to continue on with your influence, was there an album or song or performer that made you want to pick up the bass, made you want to be in a band? Well, I never really wanted to play the bass. Um, I sort of fell into playing the bass by accident. Um, and uh, it was because there was no bass players in any of the local bands. You know, all the bands in the neighborhood, all the guys, you know, they weren't really bands. They're just groups of kids get together and playing. No one had a bass player. Everyone said, yeah, we need a bass player. We need a bass player. I didn't even know what the bass sounded like when I agreed to be the bass player for a band. You know, I heard... Uh, ACDC and I was hoping that it was you know the guitar lick you know I was hoping oh I hope that's the bass that's what I want to be doing but you know I found out quickly the bass is like the unsung hero of the band and it's really the instrument that's playing the songs and it wasn't until I got into playing the bass that I, I found heroes like Phil Lynott and Lemmy and even Dee Ramone and there's this guy from this uh, there was a hard rock band from the 80s called Kicks Oh yeah, and they had this bass player. Uh, his name was Johnny Fernell, and he wrote all the songs. And he was the bass player, and he played a Les Paul bass. And I just thought he was the coolest. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like the mastermind behind the scenes, making up all the songs, playing the bass. You know, not getting any credit, but you know, knowing that I was secretly responsible for all this rock and roll that everybody was hearing. And then it led to wanting to be in a band and wanting it to perform. Who influenced you on that? Oh, you know, I don't know, really. It was just something that was inherently in me, I think. Uh, when I was a kid, I got really into a lot of new wave music, like Blondie and The Knack and Cars. And you know, I think my, the first record I ever bought was a Pat Benatar record. And so I kind of liked that sort of music first. And then I started listening to a bunch of disco and, you know, kind of like the Commodores and Parliament and weird stuff like that. I think mainly because my parents did. And then I, when I, I guess when I got into high school, I started to get into like Van Halen. I was super into Van Halen. And I think that's the, probably the band that made me want to be a performer. Yeah, Van Halen was so larger than life. You know, I mean, when you think back... Yeah, everything they did was huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember hearing Van Halen 1 for the very first time at at the house and putting the headphones on so my mother wouldn't hear it. I had, like, this deep-rooted sense that my mother's probably not going to like this, so I should put the headphones on. And then... (laughs) Right. Yeah, and and then I saw them perform on television at the U.S. Festival in 83, and it was just like, wow, who is the, I mean, this band is just incredible. Like I said, it was just larger than life. It was just this huge, you know, whether it was Dave Lee Roth or whether it was, you know, Eddie Van Halen and the stage show. And it was just an, they were an experience. You know, we talk about the experience of, you know, yesterday. If any band is defined by an experience, I mean, you could say Kiss and you could say some other bands, but Van Halen was really where it was in the 80s. Yeah, you would think I'd be really into Kiss, but I never really thought Kiss was that great for some reason. I thought they were kind of pretenders. I, I don't know why I thought that, but now I totally see I was right. But <laughs> I, just, I thought they were just kind of bullshit, you know? And But I thought Van Halen was totally the real deal. I mean, when I first heard Eruption for the first time, I think 
the album was old by the time I heard Danny. They had already had Tremendous Children first without when I first heard Van Halen. I was kind of a late comer to that whole hard rock scene. Uh, I was a late comer to ACDC for sure, and they're now probably my favorite band of all time. Uh, I didn't hear them until Back in Black came out. I didn't even know there was a whole Bon Scott era until much later in the, in the, in the game. Yeah, similar experience for myself and Van Halen. I was like seven years old in 1982 when I listened to Van Halen 1, like I said, on the record player in my parents' living room. And, you know, the album had obviously had been out for a while and Fair Warning and I think Women and Children First had come out. And so it was this huge, huge experience for me. And then, of course, seeing him on, you know, the U.S. Festival just sealed the deal. But yeah, similar where I was, I was always aware of Kiss growing up because of the, all the toys and the, you know, the, the Halloween masks and the, you know, seeing them on sure. People Magazine. So I was always aware of them before I heard them, you know, whereas Van Halen, I had never heard them. And then I just heard people talking about them, like my older brother and his friends. And that's why I wanted to listen to the record so bad. And I was on my way. Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience for me as a kid. You know, and now and now still, I listen to Van Halen through, you know, nostalgic filter ears, I suppose, and I still think they they sound great. Those records still sound really good to me, and the production still sounds relevant. Everything sounds like it's supposed to to me. It sounds like rock and roll. Absolutely, it sounds like the party that rock and roll is all about. Exactly. You guys have had a lot of records over the last couple of decades probably more so you know than than uh, probably more time than I'm than I'm giving you credit for but one thing i've always noticed is that you do have such a wide variety of influences you know whether it's when you do the country albums or when you do the rock albums where does all that come from i mean does that come from you being the quote unquote mastermind or does that come from the other guys in the band how how does that all work out well, I like to think it comes from me being the mastermind, <laughs> you know? I mean, I am the, you know, I'm the principal songwriter, and uh, you know, most of the songs uh, in all of the Super Suckers canon uh, were started in my brain, and uh, I'm kind of at a loss to explain how I've been able to still remain creatively uh, on fire. I feel like the last few records I've made are the best ones I've ever made, and, uh, you know, that's a rare thing. You know, bands usually put out their best albums, their first couple albums are their best, and they usually peer out after a couple records and, you know, lose the, the fire in the belly, which I've never lost. And I, and I guess it's probably because I've never really had any sort of large-scale success and I feel like, you know, that I feel like we deserve. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel like we're really the greatest rock and roll band in the world. And I and I'm not afraid to say it, you know. So I just I don't know, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I'm glad it still comes. I think it's just a, a matter of, for me, it's just a matter of keeping my antenna up, and you know, just keeping an ear open for something that's going to be a great song title. When you are writing music, you know, where do you pull from your influences? Does it just come? You know, does the does the creative process just keep flowing for you or do you have to do things i mean imagine right now when you're not doing what you would normally be doing it's probably a little bit more difficult to be creative am i wrong on that or is or what's what's you know what's the process for you yeah it's a challenge for me right now because 
usually what we do is we make up new songs. You know, after after we're tired of the last batch of songs we just made up, and that comes from you know going on tour and and playing the new material until you're bored of it, and then you start to search out the next wave of of uh, music that you're gonna you know start working on. But that that process got cut off right as it was beginning for us on the because of this whole pandemic thing. So now I'm kind of, you know, in this limbo stage where I've got to start making up new music. I haven't tired of the the last batch of songs that we just made yet. And, uh, you know, I still would like to go out and play those songs and can't. So, it, yeah, it's a weird thing for me right now, for sure. I did just uh, record a brand new song that will come out um, probably at the end of this month, I suppose. Um, and it's kind of like a... It's a, a timely number called Shit Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine touring, as much as you guys do, allows you to keep that creative flow happening, you know, because you're experiencing different things each day versus now you're predominantly at home experiencing the same things each day. So I imagine that also plays into the creative process. Right. I think that's really enabled me to remain creatively viable through all these years is the fact that I'm, you know, we're like sharks. We've got to keep moving to survive. So, you know, that movement creates different experiences, which creates different, you know, memories, which, yeah, the whole thing feeds itself that way. And now I feel like more like a normal, regular guy, you know, like the guy who has to go to work every day and does the same thing every day. You know, not that I'm going to work, but... You know, I'm going to have to before too long if this uh, if things don't change soon. Yeah, it's really, you know, the big question mark is, you know, what's going to happen in the future and what bands are going right, to have to Right, they're talking do. about drive-up concerts. You know, our fan base isn't that big to where that would really be a viable option for us. You know, I just, we need, a, we need a, an environment where people aren't afraid to get up next to each other and get all sweaty and you know, get covered in spit and get scratched and, you know, clawed at. And, you know, that's, that's where the magic happens for a band like us, you know, because they're small little clubs with too many people in them. Absolutely. You know, seeing you guys live, the live experience of the Super Suckers, this music really does come alive in the albums. I, I, I will say, you know, also that the music that you guys record on the albums, because I'm still a physical CD guy, right? I still buy the physical copy. I don't download anything or stream anything. The only time I stream something is if I'm like at the gym or something like that and I want to, you know, work out and listen to some songs. But I'm always buying the physical copy of the music, whether I'm streaming it or not. I will say, though, that the experience, like I just said, is, is something that people should take part in because it is a good time. It's loud, it's obnoxious, it's a throwback to what rock and roll once was. Do you guys keep that in the front the way you guys should be, or, or is that just something that naturally comes out? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we are conscious of. Uh, you know, we just, you know, and we just do it like we've always done it, like we think it needs to be done. And uh, I guess it kind of makes us a relic in a way, you know, like what we do, I suppose, is it's basically kind of turned into jazz music. It's for older people and fewer people and less people all the time. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that kids don't like what we're doing because I still feel like a kid, you know, I still 
channeling the inner 18 year old Eddie and trying to, uh, make up, you know, primitive, dumb rock. The dumber the music is, the more I tend to like it. You know, I, I, I have written a bunch of songs that have meaning behind them that are about real things that happen to me. But the ones that I've made up that are really kind of about nothing uh, are the ones that are, uh, are still and really enjoy playing. And I imagine, too, you know, when you are creating music, you know, you are trying to connect with the fans of the Super Suckers. You know, you're, whether it's the country stuff that you guys do or the rock stuff that you do. And that's something that you got to feed into, right? You got to keep feeding the well so the Super Sucker fans keep coming back. Right, exactly. And uh, anytime I've ignored that has been, you know, has been a bad moment for me. You know, anytime I thought, well, you know, screw the fans. We're going to do what we want. You know, it's, and there is a, there is part of us that continues to do that. But, you know, at the same time, you, it's not like the fans are there to hear me sing the notes. You know, they're usually there to hear me hear what I'm singing about or the words that I've written. You know, that's, and that's where I'm able to connect with the people who enjoy what we do. When you're talking about the current state of rock music, and I've talked about this many times on the podcast, about the relevancy that it is today, connecting with the younger generation, I've always thought one of the biggest reasons, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons is the lack of rock stars in rock music. You know, we, we talked about David Lee Roth. You know, we talked about Kiss, even though you know there's a difference of opinion on that band. But there's no larger-than-life character that connects with the youth of today you know i just had a conversation with my son who's 15 and i said to him have you seen the dirt by motley crew he's like oh yeah and i go do your friends know about motley crew now and he's like oh yeah he's like we're totally into him and it's because of that outlaw image it's because of that wild and craziness that i think a lot of people right now are afraid to alienate part of their fans or afraid to be controversial when you see hip-hop artists, embrace it. And that's why I think hip-hop connects more with the youth of today, whereas rock, people are playing it too safe. For sure. I mean, who do we have? We have Dave Grohl, you know, Eddie Vedder. I mean, these are the these are the rock stars of today, I suppose. And, you know, these are humble, nice guys. You know, nobody's out there being an asshole at rock and roll anymore. And, uh, and if anybody is, you know, it's just... Uh, it's looked at as kind of repulsive for some reason. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a conundrum. It's weird that rock music has taken that path when, like I just said, hip hop embraces it. You know, they're not afraid to be controversial. And that's why when you hear younger kids and younger, the younger generation listen to hip hop, it's because of that controversy. It's because of that, you know, showing off the bling or whatever they call it. Whereas, Rock music, like you said, you know, the, the rock stars are humble now. There's more of a conscious effort to kind of be right in the middle. And that's what rock and roll has never been about. It's never been about being down the middle. It's about, like you said, being an asshole, being controversial. I think back of the days of Axl Rose, or I think back of the days of listening to interviews with David Lee Roth and t- having my parents shout at me to turn that jerk off. You know, but that was, that's, what, that's what made me want to listen to it more. Yeah. And now, you know, my kid, I have a 19-year-old kid who's finally started listening to music that I don't like, that I don't get at all. And it doesn't make me mad. In fact, it makes me, you know, I feel like finally he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. 
listening to music that his parents don't understand. And that is so right. I don't understand this new hip hop. And I like rap music. I love Ice Cube. I like rap music from the early 90s. I love NWA and, you know, and Public Enemy. And, you know, I, I have a real strong affinity for that for that music. But this new rap music, I, I don't even know if I would call it rap. It's just confusing. The, the beats make me blink and everything just sounds like racket to me. And I... I really truly hate it <laughs> and I just wanted to be turned off as minute it's, it's on, but I'm glad that it's there. I guess, you know, I'm glad that kids have this, you know, new music that I don't understand because that's the way it's supposed to happen. You guys have the new album, play that rock and roll out released this past February. You guys had to cancel the European tour. We touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the episode about, what it means for super suckers and a lot of bands that are out there right now. What was the plan for 2020? And do you guys have a plan once things open up or is it just kind of a wait and see approach? Well, the plan was to just tour our asses off all year long and fuel up. And, you know, while we do that, make up new songs and just do it again. You know, the cycle just kind of never ends for us. We, we don't ever plan on having a hit song. So we know that it's just going to be, put the record out and go slug it out in the clubs and make the money at the merch table. But, uh, now the plan, the current plan is we have, we still have some shows on the books for June, uh, in the States, but I'm pretty sure those are going to be squashed any minute now. And the next viable batch of shows that we have to go do is in Europe in November. We're supposed to go back and do all these rescheduled dates that we had to cancel plus a whole bunch more. And, uh, you know, we'll see what it looks like in November, but I'm not too hopeful for that now either, you know. It just looks like it's going to be a while. And even when we are able to come back, you know, what's that going to look like? Are people going to be willing to go into these clubs with each other anymore? And, you know, I don't know. It could be, I could be looking, staring down the, the barrel of the end of the road here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, when you think about the confidence the fan has into going you know, to a show without a vaccine or without a treatment available for COVID-19, there's a lot of unknown. There's just a lot of who knows what's going to happen. Plus, you have the small clubs that are struggling to survive. Are they going to be able to make this through? And if they don't, or if a lot of them don't, you know, where are the bands like Super Suckers going to play that rely on those small clubs to get their music exactly. out, you know, so there's a lot of questions that are out there, a lot of unfortunate questions. I hope a lot of bands like Super Suckers maintain and keep pushing forward, but it's got to be a difficult choice. Yeah, it is, and you know, I want to do the smart thing. I don't want to force people to have to come see us that don't want to, but uh, you know, I also, you know, need to somehow figure out a way to make a living. And uh, right now, I'm currently doing these stories behind the song on my uh, Instagram and my Facebook and counting on people to uh, tip me for, for this process. And, but, you know, I'm going to run out of songs to tell stories about pretty soon. Start basically be, being a, a cover band before too long. You know, it's just going to, the creative process is going to mean something else. I have a feeling you know, people now are so used to getting music for free it's it's hard to uh, monetize it, but that's going to have to change, if, you know, because I'm, I'm always going to make up songs. I know that for a fact, and uh, 
I just, I'm going to have to, you know, find a way to monetize it. Did you ever think it was going to go on like this? I mean, I remember when this first came out, people were thinking, oh, it'll be gone in a few weeks, be gone 30 days, and we'll get back to normal. It's got to be crushing yeah. to know that it just keeps going and keeps going. Yeah, I, I had no idea it was going to be this serious. But when we were in Europe, as it was happening and all the borders were starting to close, you know, I felt the, uh, the weight of it full force because we were out there in the trenches. You know, we were... We were about to go into Italy, literally days before it broke out there. And, you know, when those shows got canceled, things started getting real for us real quick. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if I really thought it was going to go on this long, but I know until there's a vaccine and everybody's got access to it, you know, life is going to be different. When you think about the new album that you just released and you talk about how you feel the music that you guys are doing or playing is better than ever and I tend to agree with you whether it's this album or the album Suck It that was before that and the last few records even before I feel like there's been you know a a uptick in the Super Suckers music when you're putting out when you're putting out quality stuff like this and you're unable to play it how do you manage the frustration and how do you stay positive well, you just, you can't blame anybody for it. You know, there's, there's no, there's no clear cut, uh, uh, bad guy here. So it's just, you know, just some bullshit that happened and you just kind of got to learn how to deal with it, I guess. You know, I have, you know, I have a great family and I have a lot of good stuff around me. So as long as, you know, that stuff is intact, you know, I guess it's not so bad. But the, the prospect of me going out and finding employment, you know, that just seems so far-fetched for me. You know, I, my resume has like a 30-year gap in it. And before that, the, the most skilled labor I did was put camper shells on the back of trucks, you know. So, you know, I don't want to go back to that, but that's, that's what I'm looking at, you know. It's just it's an ugly, ugly prospect. It's also a question, too. I know you've had some health issues over the past few years, and you've overcome those, and that's got to be on the back of your mind, too, of playing shows, knowing that you can be more affected because of that. Yeah, you know, and that's given me a real gratitude for, for life in general um, to to know that I had, you know, a grave illness and was able to overcome it. Um, you know, it's given me a perspective that I that a lot of people don't have and, you know, I'm grateful for it, not for the fact that I had cancer, but, uh, you know, I'm grateful that I survived it, and now I have this sort of, you know, attitude about life that is, you know, a little more positive than I, than I than it used to be. It's not so much, well, it is, it's kind of equal in in certain parts that, you know, the fans are going to lack confidence to maybe come back to a show, but it's also the musicians that are up on stage you know, that are older, that are, you know, approaching 50 in their 50s, approaching 60 that are older. And this disease affects older people. It affects people that have had issues with their immune system. I imagine, you know, the last thing you want to do is sing into a mic that 12 people have touched that day and, you know, see people coughing or sneezing in the crowd because, you know, who knows how that could affect you. Right. Yeah. I used to, you know, I used to be the least germaphobic guy in the world, you know, you're right. Singing into a a microphone that, you know, who knows who had it up their ass the night before or whatever. And, you know, now of course I have my own microphone and I have for years, but 
still, you know, I leave it behind and it gets lost. And the next night I have to use the public mic again. And, you know, it's, it's disgusting. And I'm shaking people's hands at the merch booth and, you know, putting my arm around dudes and taking pictures and just being, you know, careless. And I've, you know, it's, you know, it's, even though I did have cancer, I never get sick. I, I can't remember the last cold I had, you know, I, I, I haven't been sick in at least a decade. So, you know, I feel like my immune, my immune system is as strong as anybody's. But, you know, that said, now you're thinking about things completely different. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the future is going to look like for, for us, you know, a, a shitty rock and roll band like us who does our business in the dirty shitholes of the world. I just, you know, I'm hopeful that things will go back to normal at some point, but it's going to take a while. Yeah, I hope so too. You know, my fingers are crossed for bands like you guys, bands like the Super Suckers, bands, you know, new bands that are coming up, because I do believe that there was a swell of great music, great rock music coming out over the past few years. And I do believe that there was momentum going into this year. I've talked to so many bands about what their plans were for 2020. And, you know, like you said, like you, you, everyone's in the same boat. No one knows. Everybody had to cancel everything. Everybody was really proud of the music that they were putting out. And it's just kind of like the unknown. What's going to happen next? We don't know. I know there's some proposed legislation to help out musicians, to help out the small clubs that are, you know, struggling right now. Hopefully that goes through, but you know, we don't know. We don't know what people are going to start thinking about and, you know, do they allocate money to the clubs? Do they allocate money to something else that they may feel is more important? But the bottom line is these clubs affect a lot of people. It affects, you know, the people that work there. It affects the bands, obviously. It affects the restaurants that are around the clubs, the people who go out to eat and try to, you know, have dinner before a show. So there's a lot of people all in this together, and I'm hoping that, you know, a positive does come out of this and they do, you know, give you guys some help, whether it's on your end, the musician, or whether it's on the club side. Yeah, I mean, there are some positives to this. I mean, you know, it's it's one of the easiest things I've ever been asked to do for my country is to sit home and watch Netflix. You know, it's not like I'm, I gotta go fight in Afghanistan or some shit like that, so... As far as that goes, it's, you know, it's an easy sacrifice to make, but it's hard on the long term, you know, the career, the whole, the whole idea of what you do for a living is in jeopardy all of a sudden. And yeah, that's a big domino effect. You're right. All these other people are affected also by the industry. You know, there's roadies and sound men and lighting guys and, uh, you know, bouncers and, you know, bartenders and, uh, you know, club owners. The whole thing is a big trickle down, which, you know, it's, it's a major deal. Getting back to the new album, like I just said, and like you've you know, agreed, is that you know the music, the quality of music that Super Suckers has been putting out over the last several albums has been great. Do you guys try to change up the creative process when you're doing something, when you're recording a new album, or is it if it's not broke, don't fix it? No, it's pretty much the same. It's been the same for years for me. You know, I, I do most of my songwriting on the road. Um, in the backstages and the crappy hotel rooms that we stay in, I have a little acoustic guitar I bring with me and I just make up all the songs on the acoustic guitar and I show them to the guitar player right then and there and we start building the blocks of what the song's going to look like. And then we, uh, then before we go into the studio, we, we take a week and get all the songs piled up exactly like we want them so that when we're in the studio, 
we're able to just knock it out. It's basically like just checking off boxes. Okay, now this has to get done. Now this has to get done. Now we got to do this part. And, you know, when we're doing the vocals and sometimes when we're doing the lead guitar, there's some new discoveries that happen. And that's why being in the studio is like my favorite thing to do in the world. So, you know, it's, it's the funnest part of my job is to make the music and uh, to hear it come out. And, you know, I will literally listen to it a hundred times in a row before I, before I am ready to stamp it done. I also imagine, too, you know, you've got to hear what you envision in your head, what you hear in your head. You know, I mean, then you got to work it out in the studio. So that's a, you know, can, can be a difficult process. But I also imagine, too, with you guys playing together for so long, the three of you guys, it's become easier with every album. Yeah, it is. It's it's become way easier. And working with the, the three guys that I have now, or the, the other two guys, rather, uh, it's the, 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 the band is so much fun that I, I haven't had the urge to do a solo record since, you know, the last one, which came out, I don't know, seven years ago now. So it's been a great run with these guys. And uh, I just, I love the band so much. And I, I literally cannot wait till we get to play together again. Do you attribute the quality of music that you guys are doing now with the synergy of the three of you, with the constant playing and the constant touring that you guys do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're very tight. We know exactly what each other needs to do. And we know what that, we know, we pretty much know what the guy's going to do before he does it. And, you know, you just have these expectations that are always met. There's never that struggle that of expectation versus reality. Uh, it's, it's always, you know, I know exactly how I'm going to sing a song and, and what it's going to sound like at the end. And, you know, I'm always satisfied with it now. So it's, uh, it's very rewarding right now to work with these guys. When you do play the music live that's brand new, that you've just produced and you just put out, I imagine there's a certain sense of vulnerability for you when you play it because you want your fans to connect with it and you want your fans to enjoy it. What is that process like for you? Is, is putting the new music on, hopefully people absorb it the way you want it? Yeah, it's, it's weird at first because, you know, you're playing new songs and you're kind of seeing the heads kind of slowly start to nod. And then by the end of it, the hands go up and, you know, they're throwing the fish in the air. But, you know, at first there is a apprehension, of course, because, you know, the people aren't there to hear new songs. They're, here, they're there to hear the old ones that they already love. And you have to realize that and you have to acknowledge that and, and play some of those old songs. But, you know, for as an artist, you have to grow and you have to do new stuff. So otherwise you're just, you're an oldie machine out there just churning out the hits of which we haven't had any. So <laughs> that's a whole, you know, ugly ball game to get into. If we're just out there churning out the songs that people want to hear every night. That would be a pretty empty experience. It's interesting because I, I read an article with, uh, with Butch Walker, who I'm a big fan of, and he's obviously this big producer in the music industry, but he's also got his solo stuff too. And he's been in Marvelous three, he's been in some other bands too as well. But you know, he was talking about how fans get on social media and they're like, well, why don't you play your hits, you know, when we come see you? And he's like, I don't have any hits, you know, like I, I don't have any like songs that were on the, you know, the, the top 40 or on the radio. So he's free to pretty much play whatever he wants. Of course, like Super Suckers, he wants to play songs that are familiar and he'll keep those songs in the set. But yeah, I mean, when you don't have the hits like someone else who's a you know this big gigantic act you probably have more freedom 
to enjoy and not let it get stale because as people have said before, in order to be a rock star, you've got to have a pretty high tolerance for repetition. Yeah, for sure. Cause you're doing the same thing pretty much every night. And if, but if I were to go to a Butch Walker show and he didn't play hot girls in good mood, I'd be really bummed. I would too. <laughs> you know? That's a great song. And that's kind of really almost the only song I know by him, but you know, that's, it's so good. You know, it's, you know, I just, uh, it's, it's, an, it, there's an expectation. If we don't play born with a tail, you know, there's people going to be bummed. If we don't play a creepy jackalope by every night. Somebody's leaving disappointed, you know, and, and sometimes we don't, sometimes, you know, I don't care to disappoint. I don't mind, you know, and sometimes, you know, in life you're going to be disappointed, dude. You're just going to have to live with it. I've always gone to a super sucker show, not expecting to hear the songs that I want, but I always go expecting to have a good time. And all the songs that you guys play, you rock out to, you have a good time. Like you said, you put your fists in the air, your head starts to bob, you know, you're having a good time. So yeah, there's a few songs that I, you know, I wish you guys would, would play, but I've never, I've never felt dissatisfied going to a super sucker show. Right, yeah. Every night at the end of the show, someone comes up to me and says, hey, why didn't you play such and such or so-and-so? I'm like, well, you know, we can't play for four hours and play every song. So, you know, we're not Bruce Springsteen. We don't have all these songs. Yeah, I mean, we do. We could theoretically play for four hours, but nobody wants to sit through that. <laughs> I mean, you know, not, not even Cheap Trick plays for four hours. It's true, you know. And when you guys do play, you know, it's it's – it's like the Van Halen that we talked about. It's an event. It's a good time. When you go to a Super Sucker show, you know you're going to have a blast. You know you're going to have a good time. And that's what it's really all about. That's the goal. Well, Eddie, it's been a blast talking with you about Super Suckers and the current situation that's going on. I'm really appreciative of you doing this. I've been a huge fan of you guys. I hope to see you guys again soon. It's kind of weird going through 2020 without seeing the Super Suckers. I just hope that something positive comes out of all this mess and you know we're able to continue on with somewhat of a normal that we're used to. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you still keeping us alive out there in some way. Well, Eddie, thank you very much. Once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay healthy, everybody, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.